1: God says, you want it to be about your kingdom? Go ahead, big boy. See how that works out for you. Meanwhile, get on all fours and find something to eat. And you better start acting like one of the animals of the field because that's your only hope. and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, that's where you're going to find the scriptural content for our time together for the remainder of this service, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at the words of Jesus, but I want to begin with a question, what if we've gotten this all wrong? What if too much of what we're doing is not accomplishing our intended purpose? What if instead of focusing on the things God wants us to focus on and we've become obsessed and misguided in our focus and misplaced in our priorities? Well, what if we built big buildings and we've had great programs and we've had attractions that people can come to see? We've even called ourselves the church, but we've not built his kingdom. Do you remember the story of the Cholatika Bridge in Honduras? I mentioned this a while back. The the Choloteca Bridge, it was a a 500-meter bridge that was built in 1998. It was a Honduran engineering and architectural masterpiece. It was built to withstand high winds in that part of the world that gets devastating storms. And they did that year, 1998. Hurricane Mitch came into Honduras, and it was devastating. And at the end of the hurricane, when all the wind and water had settled... The bridge was still standing. But there was a problem. <laughs> the roads were gone. On either side of the bridge there was no longer roadways. In fact, there was a bigger problem. Up under the bridge that river that had spanned 300 feet was nowhere to be found. The hurricane had had carved a new path for the riverbed and so this bridge was literally a bridge over dry land with no roads on either side. It was a bridge to nowhere. And so the Honduran leaders, they had to come up with something. What, what do we do in light of this? And they said, should we try to redirect the river? Should we carve a new path and, and try to play God and make the river go where we want it to go? Or, or should we just abandon the bridge? Or, or should we maybe build a new bridge to make it better? Ultimately, they basically abandoned the bridge. We live in a society that is rapidly changing. The people we serve are looking different. Our world, the culture around us is like a riverbed that's not where it once was. And we, the church, who are supposed to be a bridge to our communities, a bridge to those who need the hope of Jesus Christ, too often, based on statistics, which tell us all across this country, churches are closing, hundreds of them every week, too often our churches have become bridges to nowhere. We're not accomplishing the very purpose that God created us to accomplish. We're we're not expanding His kingdom so, so, what do we do? Do, do we try and, and make culture come to us? Is that the answer? <laughs> like moving the riverbed back to where we want it? Do we abandon our mission? Do we say this bridge no longer works? Do we try something new? I believe the answer is found in one of the first verses that I memorized as a child. Let me first say it to you as I memorized it in the King James. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And now let's, let's say it together as you see it here. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I think that's the the secret, keeping the main thing the main thing, making sure we're focused on what God wants us to be focusing on, seeking his kingdom, living our lives for the kingdom. But how do we do that? Well, as usual, Jesus does not leave us empty-handed because that charge at the end of the chapter comes after he has instructed us how to achieve what he wants us to accomplish, And as usual, the pathway, the method we get there is through prayer. Jesus said it so it shouldn't surprise us. The best things in life come through prayer because it aligns our hearts with the heart of God. It aligns our desires with the desire of God. That's why the psalmist would say, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because he's some genie in a bottle? No, because when you delight yourself in the Lord, then your desire becomes his desire. And he says, sure. Why don't I let my will be done in your life? And so the disciples came to Jesus, and, and, and they wanted to know how to get there. And a lot of times, that's why we come to church. That's why we open the Bible. That's why we listen to preachers or we read books. We want to know how to get there. How do I get that which heavens has declared down here in my life? And so they said to Jesus, teach us to pray. And in Matthew 6, verse 9, Jesus said this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And and though it's not in the earliest manuscript, somewhere in history, the church, the early Christ followers begin to pray that postscript that we pray at the end of that model prayer for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Today, I, I wanna talk about how we live for the kingdom, how we get this right, how how we don't waste our time investing in those things that really don't matter. So in order to do that, why in the world will we just talk about it without first talking to God about it? And, and when I'm crying out to God for his will to be done in my life, for his kingdom to come in me, I sometimes just hold out my hands and you may want to do that because I just want to be open-handed before him And I want to cry out to god on our behalf and when I get to the end of this prayer What i'm going to invite you to do is if you know it to pray that model prayer with me And when we do that well, not only will we be proclaiming the words of jesus we will be joining in an activity that literally millions of christ followers are doing today around the world And we'll be praying something that has been prayed for a couple of thousand years so let's pray first. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to say thank you. Oh, thank you for this day. It is the day, God, that you have made. And so I rejoice. I'm glad in it. And I just thank you for how, how, God, you have in this service worked fresh and new in my life. I thank you that you're a God who speaks and that we are not left silent by you. So, God, we ask that you would do that once again today. And, oh, Lord, first I need to say, I don't understand it. It seems to me like this preaching is foolishness. And I know my life, so I know I'm unworthy. So I I pray that my words and my thoughts would be pleasing to you. And this would be used as a pathway to redemption. But, God, as I speak, I, I pray that that in combination with your words would give us what we need that we've not obtained. Lord, you would teach us what we need to learn and that you would make us new. Create in us, oh God, a new heart. Renew a right spirit within us. Lord, let us understand what it means to get this right. We don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to be a bridge to nowhere the so Lord even now teaches how to pray as, as you taught your disciples when you prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Would you give God praise again today? Jesus' plan for how we experience the kingdom life, how we live for the kingdom, is that in prayer, we ask his kingdom to come in us. Literally, the words mean, Lord, bring your kingdom to me. So what we're recognizing is, God, we're, we're crying out to you, saying, would you give me everything of you that's available to me? I, I want all of you in all of me. Now, why is this important? It's important because that's how Jesus began his ministry. He began by telling us that's what it was all about. Look at Mark 1 and verse 14. John had been put in prison. He went in, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What was the good news? Look at verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the time is here. Say the time is here. The kingdom of God is near. Say that. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means to have a change in your mindset, in the way you're thinking, in the direction you've been going, and believe this good news. What's the good news? The kingdom of God has come near. That's what the gospel talks about repeatedly. 157 times in the new testament we have this message of the kingdom of god what is the kingdom of god Let me define it. So we're not just lost Before we continue my friend vance pitman has a great definition He says the kingdom of god is god's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with him So god's working and people are getting right with god Tony Evans has probably written and spoken more on the kingdom of God than anybody I know. And he says, the kingdom of God is simply the rule of God. But what does that imply? It implies there's a ruler. That's King Jesus. It implies there's a realm that needs to be ruled, a people that need to be ruled. That's us. And it implies that there are rules. There's some guidelines we should live by. Gene Mims says the kingdom of God is the reign of God through Jesus Christ in the lives of persons And it's evidenced by God's activity in and through and around them So when the kingdom of God is evident in your life You're going to see God working in you and through you and around you And then one last definition Graham Goldsworthy says God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing That's the kingdom of God Don't you want that? Don't you want to live in the kingdom of God? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Now, when we walk through the Lord's Prayer, phrase by phrase, phrase a a while back, I, I reminded you that you cannot effectively ask for God's provision or protection until you first acknowledge his rule and accept his reign in your life. So if you want the best that God has to offer, you first got to say, Jesus, you are my king. There has to be a time in your life where you've submitted, where you've surrendered to the authority, the rule, the reign of God in your life. Now to do that, you've got to understand something that we've been talking about since the beginning of time. Since Genesis chapter 3, in fact, there have been two kingdoms. God created first his kingdom, this kingdom on the earth of his created glory. And he gave the crown of his creation, Adam and Eve, freedom to spend time in the kingdom. But then sin entered the world. And God said, as he always does, all right, you can have it your way. And so from that moment forward, since Genesis chapter 3, you've had the kingdom of God and you've had the kingdom of the man or of darkness or of this world. Adam and Eve chose to disobey the rule of God. And so every one of us were born into this kingdom of man. So we live our lives and and you'll feel this. Even if you would have never worded it this way, time I say it, you'll say, that's right. We live our, our lives with kingdoms in conflict, kingdoms in chaos. You know what you should do? But like the Apostle Paul taught us in Romans, you don't do what you know you should do. And so you struggle. Sometimes you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Christ because you realize, man, I'm in conflict internally. I'm not living my life as a kingdom person. And yet, throughout Scripture, the people of God have acknowledged, really, God is our king. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 145.1, I will exalt you, my God, the king. I will praise your name forever and ever. So what we understand is the kingdom of God is not yet, it's not fully come, and yet it's already. Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom, but he's going to come again one day to consummate the kingdom. So here we are, we we know that the kingdom of God is amongst us and we can be a part of the kingdom of God, yet we won't fully understand it until we see King Jesus face to face, right? And he'll wipe away every tear from our eye. There'll be no more suffering, no more pain. And one day he'll reign in that glorious kingdom, but today he's reigning in our hearts and in our lives as his citizens. He's teaching us that we can live as kingdom citizens. But he's regularly reminding us that it's his kingdom that needs to come. Not our kingdom. It's not a Democrat kingdom or a Republican kingdom. It's not a black kingdom or a white kingdom. It's not an American kingdom or fill in your nationality. It's not even a Baptist kingdom. No, it's, it's the kingdom of God. It's, it's his kingdom. And so he's telling us to pray, Father... Let your kingdom come in me. Bring to me all that you are so that I might experience it for your glory. So how does that look? That's where it gets practical. John Calvin says it's the church's job to make the kingdom visible. So how does it look in your little corner of the world? You represent the kingdom. It's up to you. So so I want to just spend the rest of our time giving you four things that I think demonstrate the kingdom activity in our life. And and there are four things that are very relevant in our culture. Number one, when the kingdom comes, it will come in truth. It will come in truth. Now, here's what I believe. We live in the age of Pilate. Why would I say that? You remember Jesus' interaction with Pilate in John 18? Jesus was standing before Pilate. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You're a king then? Said Pilate. Jesus answered, you, you say that I'm a king. And In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the what? Truth. To the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate says, what? Is truth, and that's the age we're living in. You you know that, right? What is a woman? Oh, no. What is marriage? Not sure. What is your identity? Whatever you want it to be. And we've forsaken truth. But what Jesus is saying is when his kingdom comes, there is absolute truth. And we know this even from the prayer. We know it from the prayer from the beginning, because in the beginning, he says, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. What does holy mean? It means different. It means set apart. How do I know something's different? Because there's truth and there's falsehood. We also know it's truth because he said, forgive us our trespasses. How do I know I need to be forgiven? Because there's right and there's wrong. He he also says, as I forgive those who trespass against me, how do I know I need to forgive others? Because I feel hurt because something that is not true has happened to me. He even says, lead me not into temptation. How do I know I shouldn't do something? Because there's truth. All of Scripture tells us that God is about truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We're told that his word is truth. We're told that we should worship him. And how? Spirit and in truth. So we must be people of truth. We don't get to make up the truth. And and while this kingdom is not a political party and won't be built in Tallahassee or in DC or in our city, you do have a responsibility in this world you live in to stand up for truth this is election week. As I go to vote, I'm going to be basing how I vote on the truths that I find in God's Word. How in the world could I vote for candidates that stand in opposition to truth? They don't get to make up truth either. We are people of truth. This week, the Bishop of Oxford, England has come out in favor of same-sex marriage. He said that His concern is that the church is out of step with society. In other words, society is believing something different from the church, and he's illustrating what is true. If the church is not sought in life, if we don't influence society, eventually society will influence the church. Let me just say something loud and clear. In this church, we're going to stand on truth, and we believe that truth is found in the Word of God. We don't base that on our feelings. We don't base that on polls. We don't base that on the ideas of the day. We base that on his truth. Why? Why would we do that? Why make a stand? Because truth changes things. This week I was meeting with my dear friend Linda Unford. I got to know Linda 12 years ago as she scheduled an appointment with me. I was a new pastor, and she was in charge of MAD. Now, if you don't know what that means... She wasn't mad, but mad as mothers against drunk driving. And and for years, they had met in our church, and they had a candlelight visual in the holiday season just remembering what had happened. And, And she just wanted to check with the new pastor to make sure that they could still do that. I said, absolutely, in that first year, I kind of gave a greeting, and I went, and it was so sad. I wasn't mad, but I was sad because I heard story after story, and there seemed to be no hope, and and I just thought, man, how do you face life's tragedies without hope? And so after that, I met with Linda, and I said, man, I want us to do this, but please, if we do it again, can I just share hope? Can, Can I share that in the midst of what's made us mad or what makes us sad, that Jesus gives us hope? And Linda said, that sounds good to me. And I'll I'll never forget that next year we kind of affected the music a little bit. And and in my short message, I gave a message of hope. And Linda just loved it. And, and, And the more we did that, Linda began to kind of peek into our church from time to time. And one day she saw Pastor Nick out in the community and, and, and she just knew she needed to talk to him about something so she scheduled a meeting. And I'll never forget the day that they too came walking out of his office and, and Pastor Nick said, Linda just prayed to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not long after that, Linda and Carl started coming more regularly to our church, and Linda and Carl both walked through the waters of believers' baptism, and their life has been impacted. And so this week when I was meeting about this year's Mad Visual with Linda, I said, Linda, you have a story that that is so encouraging to me. Linda came from a Catholic background, and she said one day as she just continued to hear the truth of the gospel here, she began to realize that everything she had heard growing up was not right that it wasn't right that she needed to fear God because he was going to punish her every time she messed up, but that God was a God of grace and God was a God of hope and God was a God of truth. And I said, Linda, would it be all right if I shared that story? And Linda said, please share my story because the truth has set me free. That's why we must be people of truth, but not just truth. When the kingdom comes, it will also come in grace. What does this mean? Well, we must not be too gracious with the truth. We can't just be so loving that we let people believe anything they want to believe. But we can't speak the truth without showing God's grace. The Bible tells us to speak the truth and show the truth in love. There are many in the church world today that have adopted a graceless gospel. It's taking on the cancel culture of our secular world. And so we've looked at some sins, whether that be sins of people in the church or sins of pastors in the church, and when they blow it in that way, we kick them to the curb. We don't know what to do with them. And what we're saying by our actions is that there's no hope in the gospel for you. The gospel is for everybody but you.
0: You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support.